Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. What else are we going to talk about today? <laughs> Hi, this is Arif with Pro Football Network. We're going to talk about how Luke Braun didn't believe. <laughs> hey, it's Luke Braun <laughs> from Locked On Vikings. None of you believed. You're all liars. <laughs> the greatest comeback in NFL history. We discuss it next on the Minnesota Football Party. Locked On Sports Minnesota Podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota Football Party. It's your guys hanging out talking next level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings Insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. This should be a good one. Welcome into the Minnesota Football Party. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. We're talking about the greatest plays, the unsung heroes, the Colts blunders, all of the aspects of the Vikings' 33-point comeback to beat the Indianapolis Colts on Saturday, 39-36. They clinched the NFC North, which was almost a footnote in this crazy game. I'm joined today by Arif Hassan, Pro Football Network, at Arif Hassan NFL on Twitter. Luke Braun hosts Locked on Vikings, as well as the Locked on Vikings postcast, on which I abandoned him on, on Saturday. He's at Luke Braun NFL on Twitter. You can find Locked on Sports Minnesota, by the way, on Amazon Fire and Roku. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. And we are available as well on YouTube, where you can subscribe and get all of our shows on video. Uh, let's start here, gentlemen. Take me through your experience uh, watching that football game. We Obviously, we didn't believe. At what point did you believe, and how were you consuming the comeback uh, from wherever you were sitting on Saturday? Arif? Oh, man. At what point did I believe? That one's actually pretty tough. Because <laughs> uh, at some point, it was less about, you know, um, can they pull this off or how are they going to pull this off and more about man i just want to see what happens next right like it was like at some point i'd stopped yeah. caring about whether or not I, I believed or didn't believe it was going to happen i was like really curious about how this was all going to play out and whether or not it was like because the thing is most viking seasons something like this happens and uh you know right before the end of the game you're asking yourself well how are the vikings going to screw this up right like that's just that's just how it goes mm -hmm. Most of the time you watch the Vikings right before they pull off a historic comeback, you're just like, guys, this is going to be interesting how they how they like take the wind out of our sails, right? This time, just because of the way the Vikings season has played out, I was genuinely curious about how this was all going to end. So uh, at some point in the fourth quarter, I, I stopped caring about, and it wasn't like a conscious decision, right? Uh, my brain just wouldn't process whether or not I thought it was going to happen or thought it wasn't going to happen. And I just wanted to see what would happen. So it's kind of tough. I don't know when when I started to believe again, but it was more just like, yeah, man, this game's crazy. Let's see what happens next. For me, I think it was like maybe after the second or th like between the second and third touchdown. Like once it was a 15 point game, I was like, holy crap, this is like 13 minutes left. This is absolutely a game. How did we get here? Uh, and then it, it felt a little bit like then I st uh, started getting nervous. But even like after the second touchdown and it was like 36 to 14 or whatever it was, I was like, why do I care about what happens on this drive? They're, they're dead. What's happening? And like my heart <laughs> felt it before my brain did. <laughs> and then before I knew it, I was like, oh my God, they might actually pull this off. This would be incredible. And I think more than anything, just because of like where the standings were, like any particular win just isn't that important, blah, blah, blah. The division was so close. I think more than anything, I wanted the history of it. Like, I wanted it to, them to be the mm -hmm. team that made the best comeback, the biggest comeback of all time. More than, like, I just wanted that title more than the win or the standings or, like, it being the clinch or whatever. All of that, yeah, you're right. It's just a footnote. It's just the coolest thing ever to do. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know where you guys are, like, in your 
your fanhood relative to your journalistic integrity? Like, Because when I'm at the game, I'm not emoting. I'm watching it. I'm tweeting. You're not allowed to emote. If you guys are watching, like, were you guys watching at home, like, sort of reacting outwardly as this was oh, happening? Because yeah. I think that would have been a fun experience to be in that. I mean, that, and that's everyone listening. Like, everyone listening is watching right. and yelling at the TV. I'm We're robbed of that a little bit in the press box. But it was fun to just see, like, the reactions escalate as the comeback went on from subdued applause to, all right, well, at least we're scoring. This is fun. We get to, like, sing the touchdown song to uh, – I felt like it, they really started to believe in the crowd at, when Jalen Rager had the punt return that got called back. Um, they were down 15. That's when Kirk Cousins said he st started to feel it, down 15. Rager has the 60-yard punt return that gets called back, but I felt like during that return, the fans flipped. Like, they they were fully invested in that comeback occurring. Um, for me, I, I felt like it was possible to start the fourth quarter. Like, when they had the ball inside the 10, uh, about to score on the Justin Jefferson touchdown, the Colts just, just offensively, you just knew the Colts weren't going to do anything. Right? Like, it, it, it felt like every time the Colts got the ball, it was just a matter of, do they get one first down or no first downs? Like, they're going to give the ball back because they were so punchless. And mm -hmm. even when the Vikings threw the interception, it still felt like, well, they're going to get it right back at midfield. It was basically an arm punt. Um, and I think that's an interesting question. Like, what, what did the Colts do worst? to allow this to happen because a lot of it's focused on what the Vikings did well and rightfully so, but how did the Colts allow this crazy scenario to unfold? That is, that is such an interesting way to put it. I actually, I kind of like that um, because, you know, with the comeback, it's, it's, we're focused on the protagonist of the comeback, right? But for mm -hmm. the Colts, I mean, they had to screw something up. The thing is, the Colts were never playing all that well like throughout the game, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's tough to um, it's tough to say. You know, they got a thirty-three zero lead. They were not playing that. It sounds like there's an reef of the Colts just poo pooing the Colts, right? It's just like, I think that could... <laughs> there must but, I mean, always like... be an reef. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like. A punt block return for a touchdown. I mean, if someone wants to talk about unsustainable play, there you go. Man, that's not happening <laughs> game to game, right? Like, the, the Colts Oh, this would have been like... such an annoying conversation if they lost. I don't know, Arif, <laughs> you were all about the Vikings' unsustainability, though. You were tweeting about not that in this, not during in this the first game. half. During the, during the game, I was tweeting out, like, man. You specifically said you weren't going to say it. Well, but that's what I mean. But, but like, Which is like saying it. Well, okay. Come no. on. No, I'll, 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 I'm going to be 100% honest, right? It was like I did yeah. I did tweet out stuff like, you know, hey, you know, this is what happens when a 10-win team doesn't play like a 10-win team. But if we're also additionally being honest, the Colts were not playing all that well in the first half, right? Just in terms of the types of play that sustain, right? The types of play... Mm -hmm that repeat itself over the course of the game, that demonstrate the kind of quality that, uh, you know, tells you that a team is going to, you know, continue to do this from game to game or even inside the game. They were not moving the ball all that well. We saw a couple of good Jonathan Taylor runs and stuff like that. But the thing is, like, you can't rely, right, on, a, on an interception return, on a punt block return for touchdown, right? You can't rely on having, like, basically every scoring drive start from, like, your own 40 or better, right? Like, it was something like that, right? Like, the Colts had one scoring mm -hmm. drive from uh, inside their own, th not even inside their own 30, from inside their own 31, uh, and no scoring drives. Like, they didn't move the ball that way. The Vikings moved the ball for them, and I don't even say that, like, the Vikings scored, like, a, it's a punt block, right? Like, there's just not very much you can do about it. But, like, the Colts' field position was remarkable, and then when it wasn't remarkable anymore, they, they couldn't do anything, right? So part of that is just the Colts are just not a very good team that caught a few lucky breaks, which, I mean, you know, sounds like something in a reef of the Colts would say. Uh, but that's kind of what happened, right? That doesn't mean that they were fated to lose, right? Like, giving up 33 points is really hard, right? It so, takes two teams to do that. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, part of it is also, like, hey, they must have felt really confident that Stephon Gilmore locked up Justin Jefferson first half. Justin Jefferson got, like, what, 17 yards, right? 
Um, and they didn't necessarily change their approach. And the Vikings kind of did a little bit. Like, uh, defensively, they changed their approach. There's a little bit more man coverage, and Donatel mentioned that. But offensively, right, uh, J Justin Jefferson is better than Stephon Gilmore. I mean, that's just, like, part of it, right? And so that matchup was going to play itself out, and it did, right? And, and Jefferson ended up with, like, a, a boatload of yards in the second half. So, I mean, that's part of it, too, is that the Colts continue to trust the way their defense was working even though the defense wasn't, like, working in the same way, right? Like, when they couldn't rely on miscommunications between Cousins and Rager, there was not much there. So, I mean, I think that that's part of it, is that the Colts are just fundamentally not a very good team, and they didn't play, like, a very good team when they rocketed out to a 33-point lead. Yeah, so... It had to be a rocket, Luke, too. Like, they yeah. had to go... Like, they were up 30 to nothing with six minutes left in the half. Like, that gives you a lot of time for a comeback like this to happen, and a comeback like this needs a lot of time to happen. Yeah. And that, like, if you look at all the other games that there was a 33-point lead in, they probably it probably wasn't that fast. Like, it was a very unique set of circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there's a couple of, like, Jeff Saturday mistakes that the Colts made. If if I were to, like, talk to Locked On Colts and be like, what happened? The the two things that I noticed were... <laughs> First, are you all right? Second, we got to First... <laughs> <laughs> now, those guys have been through it this year. They were they didn't expect anything else. Um but on the second touchdown drive, the one to CJ Ham, the Colts played it like very far off coverage. Like they played it very soft, like they were trying to go into a clock kill like prevent kind of mode, mm -hmm. which I think is a huge mistake. Let the Vikings drive all the way down the field, get to point blank range, CJ Ham touchdown. Um and then I think later in the game. I do not like at all the way the Colts managed the clock. Um, they should, I think there were like incompletions that stopped the clock on top of stuff uh, like one of the running backs going out of bounds with two minutes and 45 seconds left. Like absolutely should not Huge. have done that after a first down run. Mm -hmm. um, and I think just like general situational mastery stuff, which on <laughs> crossover Thursday with locked on Colts, we talked about that. We talked about how, like, if this is a close game, the, the Vikings have made a huge effort at situational football, and the Colts are coached by Jeff Saturday, who's doing this for the first time ever. That probably is going to come up if the game is close, and I think it came up and manifested itself in those ways. I mean, let, let like talk about time remaining for the comeback. Yes, the Colts rocketed out early, but they still led by 29 with a minute 13 to go in the game. 16 minutes left in the game, and they were ahead 36 to 7. Um, so keep that oh, in mind. In the for third quarter. I was going to say, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm That's sorry. Like, the third quarter. That's impossible. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if, if the Viking, if this was your team and you were the coach, how would you handle the run pass balance? Because the Colts definitely did not give the Vikings three run plays and out every time they tried to throw and it was to their detriment because they stopped the clock on a number of occasions. A couple of examples. Uh, you've got a see uh, 36, 14 second and seven incomplete third and seven incomplete. Uh, that stops the clock twice. That's a minute 20 right there. 36, 21. You're up by 15. Pass incomplete on second and five, and a pass for a loss on third and five. So you stop the clock once there. Um, and there, there's numerous examples throughout the second half. But the Colts were not just giving the Vikings the ball back. The Vikings actually had to pass defend. And the Colts are seeing, oh, Patrick Peterson's like coming out with cramps and Duke Shelley's on the field. Did the Colts actually do something wrong in the play sequencing there, in your opinion? Uh, I'll say this. I think people are a little bit too focused, generally speaking, with running the ball in those situations. Um, and so I do want to give Jeff Saturday credit for knowing that getting a first down is more important from a clock management perspective, right, than, than simply running the ball. Because getting a first down gets you potentially 100 more seconds, whereas, you know, running the ball gets you maybe 40 seconds, right? Like, that's important, right? 
like the second and five pass, don't know what that's about. Maybe run the ball, but they might have just been spooked by the fact that in the first quarter, Jonathan Taylor was out for the game with an ankle injury, right? Like they're they're left with, you know, Deion Jackson running the ball, right? Like it, it was it, it's a pretty difficult situation for them. Um, do they trust Matt Ryan to throw the ball to Alec Pierce, Michael Pittman, or do they trust Deion Jackson to run the ball? Um, and I I get it. Um, they should have run the ball a little bit more, second and seven, run the ball, second and five, run the ball. Um, and that would have probably been the difference. I mean, it was a close game, right? That probably would have been the difference, you know, if they had just drained off, you know, 80 more seconds here or there. Um, but I get it. Like, it, the important thing is to get first downs. That's what drains the clock, right? Play, individual plays that drain the clock help, but getting the first down helps the most. So, yeah, I think that that was poor clock management. I think that that was poor play sequencing. But I think it's also easy to overstate the impact of that because the Vikings were stopping the run too, right? Like the reason you're throwing on second and seven is because you only had a three yard run on first and 10, right? So that that's like a big part of it is, is that the Vikings just played well on defense, right? And in particular in stopping the run. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there could have been a couple of things here or there, but it's, it's kind of like criticizing, uh, you know, Shanahan's clock management in the, in the 28, three Super Bowl and Super Bowl 51 LI, whatever. Right. Um, Right. There are some individual plays that you can pick out, you know, individual <laughs> plays that you – Yeah, it had to, right? Uh, individual plays you can pick out where they should have run the ball with Devonta Freeman, right? But it turns out when you go over it, um, hey, look at Tarif being weird. Positive. <laughs> uh, kind of. <laughs> not, yeah, not the whole tweet is positive. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, – you take a look at that entire play sheet and you pick out where should they have run the ball instead of pass it. And there's only a couple of plays here or there in that Super Bowl comeback where you can actually break it down and say, ah, they should run the ball here. Like, there are not that many instances in this particular game where if you replaced a pass with a run, it would have been better. So I think it's, it's yeah, they screwed that up for sure. But I think it's easy to blow that one out of proportion. Yeah. Luke, yeah, anything I, to I add there? The and then we'll, then we'll talk like... about uh, the Vikings. Yeah, the like the dichotomy of run and pass is always going to be like my least favorite place to take it. Um but like if you want to pass on second and 7, there are definitely ways to do that. Like if you get a first down, good job. You kept the clock going. Obviously that's more valuable and I I totally get that. But I think there are ways to get into a pass where you can still ensure that the clock is is running. Um you know, don't throw to the sideline. Make sure you have a, a quick check down available if things aren't open, that kind of stuff. And the amount of incompletions might reflect that. I'm having trouble remembering. But if they don't, then that's just the players screwing up and playing poorly. And then, yeah, the result of incompletions is the problem here. How you want to go about preventing it, I think there's a few ways to take that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about the heroes and the great Vikings plays. Enough Colts fan line. We'll talk Vikings specifically <laughs> after I tell you about betonline.net. Uh, the Vikings didn't cover on Saturday, guys. What are they good for if they can't cover <laughs> against the Colts? Uh, what a bad beat. Over hit, uh, did go over. Did go over. 30 or Thank 75 you. total points. That's a lot. Vikings are favored by three and a half against the Giants. I don't know how the Giants and the Colts are viewed the same way. Based on the line, oh, well, Will, we've argued about lines enough. Uh, you can get that line and plenty more at betonline.net. It's uh, bowl season for college football. It's college basketball, NBA as well, and every NFL line. Check it out on betonline.net. You can use your mobile device to access that as well. It's BetOnline, where the game starts. Um, Kevin O'Connell. What do you think he did to spearhead this comeback for the Vikings? Because I th it, takes a, it takes a village, right? It takes your defense. It takes your special teams. It takes your quarterback. It takes your playmakers. And it takes your head coach to, to do some things right as well in the second half. Is this Kevin O'Connell throwing out the script? Is this him empowering Kirk? Do you think Kevin did some things schematically in the second half to to bring about this comeback well, what do you think of the head coaching job uh i mean it wasn't like tempo obvious. a ton right like no huddle calling yeah. plays at the line there's a lot of, if you want to say he empowered kirk and that made it happen i think there's definitely a case to be made there 
Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, I think, like you said, it takes a village. Obviously, Kevin O'Connell has like a lot to to kind of take credit for here. Um, some of it, I think, was uh, not modifying the game plan specifically for Justin Jefferson too much in light of, you know, kind of a really tepid first half for Jefferson, right? It's not saying, hey, there's something wrong with this matchup. We got to do something different with Jefferson. They were doing a lot of the same stuff in the second half with Jefferson as they were in the first, but it worked this time because you just kind of trust your great players to do the things that they're good at, and you were already asking them to do the things that he was good at. So I think staying the course in some elements is important, and in this case, it helped, right? Um, I think that – so we've been criticizing the Vikings for calling screens all year, right? And uh, we're right to. They were not very good plays. Uh, it turns out in this game, you know, those screens worked out really, really well. Um, I don't know if that's just, hey, circumstance, you've been calling bad screens all year, and now you've got a good one. Here's a 64-yarder from Dalvin Cook for a touchdown. <laughs> but um, but uh, either, you know, they, they, they recognized this element of their game wasn't working all that well because they didn't call a ton, right? But the ones they called worked. Um, and, and just decided, hey, we're going to deploy them when we know the Colts are giving us a favorable look here. And, and that's great if that's the case. If not, happy circumstance. Um, but also, like, whatever they were doing to get K.J. Osborne more involved. I was talking about Justin Jefferson the whole game. Let's talk about K.J. Osborne. Holy crap. Jesus, This yeah. is the guy that we saw in training camp, right? This is like, the guy that we've been talking up the whole time. <laughs> this is, this yeah. is the guy that, like, I, I remember getting a radio saying, hey, I think K.J. Osborne could outproduce Adam Thielen by the end of the day. I think it's possible. I don't think it's likely. I think it's possible. This is the guy that made me think it was possible, right? And I don't think he's been playing awfully all year or anything like that. It's just that when your offense is designed around a guy and that guy is the best receiver in the league, why change, right? And so uh, when 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 you've got some opportunities to move the ball through other elements, you know, do it. And, and Osborne had a really phenomenal game. And I think, you know, um, whether that's Kirk Cousins or whether that's, Kate, uh, or, or whether that's Kevin O'Connell, allowing that kind of offense to flourish or, or moving in that direction, you know, whatever element of the offensive design allowed Osborne to be a big part of this game. Absolutely. You know, whoever that was, that they deserve a significant amount of credit for that. I think yeah, there's a point I, to I be made how... about culture too. Like the, oh, 100%. I was getting ready. Yeah. I was getting ready to like rip the like late. I mean, you could go look at my old tweets. I was like, this is a beach five team. They skipped this one in the first half. Like they came out so sleepy, but when the comeback started to feel real, you could feel every single player how bad they wanted to be a part of it, like for each other. You know, the, the, mm -hmm. the story about Patrick Peterson saying, oh, just get five touchdowns yeah. in the locker room at halftime. Just get five touchdowns. It's easy. Uh, but like when Dalvin Cook got rolled up kind of funny, he had to walk something off. You could like feel how bad he wanted to get back on the field. And Justin Jefferson, how mad he was for having to go off the field for a play for uh, the concussion protocol. And players are always going to get a little frustrated by that. But you could tell they wanted to be like a part of this that they all felt that something special was going to ha happen on that field that day. And I think to have a comeback like that, like if you look at 28-3 to bring that up again, the Patriots sideline, like they knew 100%. They knew that it was going to happen. And I, I think you have to have a certain amount of uh, togetherness. You have to have a fairly resilient culture to fall down 33 to nothing at halftime and still believe in each other that much. It's really impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think we underestimate too how attainable a comeback is if you simply just kind of take it one drive at a time. It's not like you need one yard or one play drives of 80 yards every time. The Vikings failed three times on drives before they tied the game. They had a three and out to start the half. They had an interception right. and they had a fourth down failure. And they still had time not only to tie the game, but then get the ball back and almost win in regulation, and they did so by occasionally even running the football. And think about it. When you're scoring, you're constantly completing passes. That means the clock is always moving. And Kevin O'Connell had enough sense to not, I think, I think he panicked in the first half. I actually felt like the second half he never panicked. Um, I didn't think they made a lot of panicky moves. Even in overtime, they didn't force the issue. They punted from a from a tough spot. Um that was a good they punt, didn't by try the way. To I, was, do... I was pretty worried about that. <laughs> what a punt, yeah. And I felt like they gave him a bad spot, yeah, too. Jesus. They should have been at, like, the, the yeah, half-yard line. They should have been at the half-yard line. I watched that again. The The line judge came out on the one-yard line, and then it cut back, and the ball was spotted on the two. 
I think, I, hey, 85% of the Vegas money was on the Vikings. So, you know, you get you get some calls <laughs> going the other way. I'm just yeah, saying. From the press yeah, box, sure I couldn't sure see. Well, we don't have the depth perception to really see, you know, down the line from there. So when Matt Ryan kneeled down, I thought, did he kneel in the end zone? How did he have room? But I guess they, they yeah, gave him a bad that's spot. That's exactly what I thought. How was he going to have room? This is exactly <laughs> like this. <laughs> the Buffalo Bills. Come on, what's it's going gonna on It's going to happen here? again. Walk-off safety. <laughs> Walk-off safety. Um, uh, refereeing. They overcame refereeing. Chandon Sullivan robbed twice. Now, I, I, I think I finally figured this out be, because I was very confused for a while in, in like how the Vikings didn't get possession after the first one, but how they did get possession after the second one. And I think there's a distinction between forward progress and down by contact. And apparently... Yeah. The second time, even though it was an egregious ruling, I guess they said he was down by contact, which allowed the Vikings to get possession <laughs> of the ball. They're making, right. yeah, well, they're it, making it, it up as they go along. Yeah, it's it's essentially when the whistle blows. I mean, that's not the actual rule, but I mean, like as a good kind of general proxy for trying to figure out what's going on, it's when the whistle blows, right? And uh, the the down by contact stuff is they figured out that he was down after the ball had come out basically. Right. And so the Vikings were essentially allowed to recover it. Um, but then the whistle blows, so he can't return it. Right. Uh, he now for this to happen, he has to make a clear and obvious recovery um, in order for the Vikings to get the ball. Now, that clearly happened. Right. He was able to return it for a touchdown. So that's like part of it. Like forward progress is just like you, you on the replay. You can't even hear a whistle. Right. So you can't, you don't even know when forward progress is ruled. So it's just like, yeah, we ruled forward progress. So even if the ball comes out and then the whistle blows for forward progress, like it is it is a little bit different. You're not going to get the ball back or you're not going to get the ball in the fumble. It's just going to be, yeah, he's down. They, they have the ball. But the a good approximate rule, again, not the actual letter of the rule. A good approximate rule is kind of when the whistle blows. And for uh, that second one, Shannon Sullivan, the whistle blew after he had picked up the ball because they had just decided that he was down by contact. Mm -hmm. Now, it'd be nice if you had, like, some pretty good refereeing in that game, right? That would have been – but then we wouldn't have had such an amazing comeback, so maybe it's a blessing in disguise. The, yeah, the first half is totally different. It's at 23-7 at worst and maybe better because yeah, the pick six doesn't yeah, happen. Better. Yeah, it, Yeah. Yeah, um, you're right. I and it's, Plus, it's plus talking the about, Rager return, right? Like assuming oh, the that, phantom face world, mask. Oh yeah, the face mask. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like terrible. assuming in that in that world that that Reger does have that particular return. Yeah, you get a you get a better and then Reger gets like sixty yards on a punt return. And they probably and, and then guy. they don't throw the interception because they're not yeah, on that spot in the field, and they might even win the game in regulation <laughs> if that punt return stands. Um. <laughs> But these pool reports that the officials do are so pointless after the game yeah. because the, yeah. the, the, the reporter asks the question and the official says, well, the rule states that if the player is ruled down by contact, then we cannot, like, the, the return does not count um, by the, the man who recovered the fumble. Well, like, can you at least acknowledge in the pool yeah, that's report, the, please, like, yeah. can you acknowledge that, the, that you made a bad call? Can you acknowledge, like, because that was the that was the worst. That was the worst. Um, but these guys don't. They they take themselves very seriously. Same with the uh, the Giants commanders pool report last night. Completely oh, completely God. pointless. And Hussey totally d denies that he knows about you know the official giving him the thumbs up and saying yeah you're good you're on the line. Oh. Super weird. Yeah. Just yeah. Just like the other like like three or four different bad calls at the end of that game. Which they occur at the very end of the game, so it's like much easier to remember them. But like the the ref performance in this Colts Vikings game, just and there were a couple of calls as always when you have a better uh, ref performance. There were a couple of calls that went against the Colts, but I mean, who cares? They, they absolutely demolished the Vikings the way these calls played out. Yeah, super brutal. Um, unsung heroes in this one. I think there's a lot to choose from. I I'll nominate Duke Shelley, number one PFF defensive performer. He's good, guys. I think he's actually good. Am I crazy? Duke Shelley, good corner, maybe better than Dantzler. He's good. That's a lot. That's a lot. We're, we'd have to overcome some really significant priors, including the fact that one team decided he wasn't even worth rostering, and that team's not, like, good. 
<laughs> so okay, like, okay, over. It, it, it's He's a lot better outside I, I than in the nickel. I, I'll give you that. I I think this discussion is worth having, and we should give him credit by having that discussion. I just want to acknowledge there's a lot of priors we have to overcome in order for this to be kind of a a, a realistic. Um, the thing with Cameron Dantzler, and and this is the thing I'm worried about, is that the Vikings defense is going to get better when it develops the ability to be more complex. Now, I think that Ed Donatel is a bad defensive play caller. I think that, you know, the Vikings are too... Actually, Brett Coleman just, like, put out a video on this. It's like, Coleman and I were, like, talking a little bit before this video, and I'm, I'm sure he was talking to you too, Luke, because, uh, you know, a lot of people that have been breaking down this Vikings defense have noticed they call cover six more than anyone else in the league. And uh, teams know that, and they plan for that, and then they put the Vikings back into their base defense, which is their cover six, right? Um, and so as Donatel, you know, if he continues to stay on the on the team next year, as Donatel complexifies the defense, make it look a little bit more like the Broncos' defense last year, and has more complicated zone handoffs, has difficult-to-diagnose match coverages, has, you know, more complexity, I don't know if Cameron Dancer is going to be able to keep up. That's my concern. Uh, but in a defense where he somehow miscommunicates less, he's a pretty good corner. And I don't know that Duke Shelley is better than him in that scenario, but that's not a modern NFL defense. So I'm willing to have this discussion that if Shelley is a better communicator, but a worse cover corner, that he might be better for the Vikings uh, than Cameron Dancer. So that that is an interesting conversation to have, but certainly... Yeah. He deserves to be in this unsung heroes conversation easily. That's, yeah. that's not even a question I'm, for me. A good game for Shelly, and he deserves credit for that. I think there's two things. One, the Vikings, Tom Pelosero said this before the game on the broadcast, the Vikings put Patrick Peterson on the boundary side for the whole game, which is a way of protecting Duke Shelley. So he was protected a little bit with more being asked of Patrick Peterson. And I think that was a good idea. I, I think that worked when they finally did go to the man coverage looks. And I don't know why they waited until the second half to do more of that. That was insane. Um, but the second thing is the other times Duke Shelley played, he's been like victimized. He's had a couple of like really clutch pass breakups, which are going to be easier to remember. But there are other moments where he's just like victimized. And if you take the entire body of work, no, I do not think it outplays Cameron Dantzler. But he's absolutely earned the right to get another camp invite, come back, and I would probably predict that he makes the team. And that's pretty sweet, considering that he wasn't there this season. That's right. That's an yeah. upgrade yeah. for him. Yeah. Do do I believe that that he's better than Dantzler? No, nor that he has higher upside. But I like to I like to stir the pot. But I also like that he's he's sticky in coverage. Like he's he's around the catch point all the time. And sometimes he's a little bit too handsy, too physical. He gets, you know, penalized, but he's a good tackler. He's close in coverage. And that's exactly what they needed. They needed someone to step up and do that. Because Andrew Booth's head is still swimming. He doesn't understand this defense or how to play at the NFL level. Caleb Evans still kind of has that rookie aura to him. Say what you will about Duke Shelley's mythic Bears tenure, but He's 26, and he's seen some stuff, and he knows how to, like, stay with a guy in coverage. Um, so I hope he's back as a Viking. I think that it would be unfortunate to kind of discover these dudes, like Shelly and Tonga, and if I'm forgetting anybody else, let me know. Brandel, like, you, you would like to keep those guys around because those are cheap depth pieces that you have to develop if you're going to be a top-heavy cap team. And that's exactly what the Vikings are. Other unsung heroes. I kind of derailed this with Duke Shelley. Other unsung heroes from this game. Braun? Uh, I was going to bring up Dalvin Tomlinson um, and ah, Harrison Phillips. <laughs> Good. Uh, <laughs> those were... Like, we already kind of talked about how, like, a lot of the reason the Colts couldn't move the ball in the end of the game and they couldn't get first downs to keep the clock moving was because those first down runs went, you know, for three yards and then they were in second and seven. And they're just not a good enough team to pull out of even a little bit being behind the chains. Um, so those those run stops were like turned out to be really crucial. Mm. And it was a lot of those guys winning matchups and the Vikings being in a world where it came down to Dalvin Tomlinson and Harrison Phillips. Like they structured their run defense. I, it looked to me at least uh, 
uh, live that they were structuring their run defense to funnel everything back in towards those guys, which worked out. Good job. Yeah, no, I was I was going to go with uh, Dalvin Tomlinson, although Harrison Phillips did also have a really remarkable game. He's good to include as well um, as an unsung hero. But I mean, you know, we can extend it out to that entire defensive line, which I don't think got very much credit throughout the course of the game because Jerry Smith played pretty well. I think he had one of his better run defense games that we've seen in a while. I mean, he's a really good pass rusher. He is kind of a vulnerability in the run game. Um, but, you know, he had a great run uh, defense you know, performance in this game. I thought Daniel Hunter had a great game, right? You know, uh, so what, like five pressures or something like that. I didn't count. Double Thompson backfield, also had yeah. a number of pressures. Yeah. yeah. So um, that entire defensive line did really well. I mean, we saw a couple of things from like DJ Wanham too that was kind of nice, Kyra Stanga. But, um, you know, that defensive line overall had a tremendous performance. My unsung hero is Jalen Rager for his <laughs> negative five-yard rush. Why, you ask? Why, Sam, are you doing this? If not for Jalen Rager seeing the future and saying, I need to have a negative play right now, because what happened on that negative play? It was so negative, it caused the Colts to taunt the Vikings, leading 33 to nothing. <laughs> and it bailed the Vikings out of a second and 15. Two plays later, the Vikings connect KJ Osborne for 63 yards, and the rest is history. So Jalen Rager, my unsung hero, for knowing that the team needed a spark, he took one for the, he he was allowed himself to be humiliated for the betterment of the team. And you allowed know what? himself to he, be humiliated might be his story of the game. Multiple times he did allow himself, like just a, a selfless individual, truly. My unsung hero. Luke, did you ever figure out if that first pick was also on him? Hard to know. I mean, miscommunication between him and Kirk. So, yeah. One of the two probably had. Threw, threw well behind him, but it's notable that yeah. Ron Johnson. I think it was. Had a, it was yeah. had a pretty good explanation. Way. Ron's interpretation, and he knows receiving. Uh, he, he says that in the zone look, Rager's got to sit. He's supposed to sit. And, and Rager was okay. trying to yeah. uncover the linebacker as if it was a man look. So it might have been Rager's lack of recognition yeah. of what the defense, mm -hmm. or, or maybe it wasn't communicated in, in at the line or in the huddle or whatever. Um, but there was, yeah, clearly a miscommunication. What, whoever's fault that was, I'm not sure. But I'm, I'm putting it on Rager, who has to feel that in the moment. <laughs> oh, Luke Braun. <laughs> Why are you booing me? I'm right. No, I mean the uh, the thing about the thing about the world. <laughs> I, I think yeah. So the the quote that just came up is uh, someone tweeting at Luke Braun from the make a quote make it a quote account. Uh, the one I've become intimately familiar with uh, is that the Vikings are the <laughs> stupidest team in existence. Um, and Luke Braun's response: People keep quoting this at me like the Vikings aren't the stupidest team to ever take the field. Uh, and, and he tweets this at seven p.m. Right, so this is well after the Vikings game. And Luke They're is right. As as, I, and no, the first much tweet as it hates, was when the Vikings tied the game. Right. Yeah, no, yeah. Like, yeah. That's the stupidest like, game I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it not only is it taking, because I think, you know, mid-game tweets are kind of just like, they don't count, generally speaking. Right. But to take a tweet that where it already had happened. Right. Because I, I think I retweeted your, this is the stupidest team to ever exist. To take where it already <laughs> The thing that, it, like, makes the Vikings into heroes had already happened, and you tweet that out. Like, people just clearly don't understand, like, what you mean by that, right? Which is, this team is inscrutable. It is so dumb to try and figure out what's going on with this team. Uh, everything about it is stupid. Uh, all of our analysis breaks down. And so, yeah, the Vikings absolutely are the stupidest team in existence. Yeah, this game proves it. I don't, like, I don't know. You, clearly, they think you mean that the team is bad, right? <laughs> but that's... That's not the spirit of that. Which I will not all. clarify that on Twitter. Stupid I has a vast definition. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. there's Viking stupid and then there's Patriot stupid. That's a whole nother level of stupid. <laughs> oh my uh, god. I I'm going to have the two point conversion debate with two analytics guys after I tell you about Locked On Sports today. If this was your first listen, make Locked On Sports today your second listen. The biggest stories around the sports world in 20 minutes or less, plus instant reactions, game recaps, and Lockdown's take of the day. Lockdown Sports Today, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right, so let, let's let's talk about the the final moments here of this comeback. So Vikings score, go down nine. Analytics suggest the Vikings should go for it. Um, they do not. They hold the two point conversion until the very end and convert on a very impressive read by Kirk Cousins, who surveys the field, hangs in. Ed Ingram doesn't get exploded. He was huge on that play, and uh, and Cousins connects to Hawkinson. So it all worked out. I'm here to defend the decision. Um, tell me why Kevin O'Connell should have gone for it earlier, because I know that there's a good case for it. I think Luke and I you are take this one or me. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the logic is basically about information gathering. Um, if you get the two-point conversion, it doesn't matter when you went for it, right? If you don't get it, it does matter when you went for it. So the only scenario we really need to work, worry about is what happens when you don't get it. Um, so with two touchdowns, and some people say they should have gone it on the third gone for it on the third touchdown, me, which I'm not familiar me, with I'm the math is people. the same, but it probably. Okay, yeah, you did sure. say that. Um, yeah. But just to keep it simple, with when you're down 15, so you have two touchdowns, you score the first touchdown. If you go for it and don't get it, you're now down nine with however much time left, three minutes or whatever. If you wait to the last minute and then you go for it, let's say you score that touchdown with the the clock at zero. Let's say it was a last-second touchdown, and then you don't go for it. You're down one with no time to do anything about it. If you're down nine with three minutes, you might be able to approach that second touchdown drive a little bit differently. Maybe you'll use your timeouts differently. Maybe you won't throw to the middle of the field as much. You'll be able to play situationally. Um, having the information of whether or not the first two-point conversion is good is going to help you navigate the, the game. Missing it means you need an extra score no matter what. And most of the argument I hear against it is, well, if they went for it, they would have been down that. They would have needed an extra score. Like, well, you still needed an extra score. You just didn't have any time to do anything about it. Don't Wouldn't you rather have time to do anything about it? And I guess if you want to put that up to, to three scores, then it's the same logic, but with even more time and flexibility and options. Yeah, so yeah. The, the reason I cared about it at three scores, normally I don't care about it at three scores. The reason I cared about it at three scores is because you know the only way the Vikings can pull this off is if they have three touchdown drives and don't allow any points. That's the most likely scenario where they get a comeback. We don't need to talk about these other scenarios. Maybe one where there's like a Colts field goal or something. We don't need to really talk about these other scenarios. We only need to talk about the scenarios where the Vikings have three touchdown drives and the Colts have nothing, right? And so in that scenario, you need to know whether you need another field goal drive. That's basically it, like, like Luke said. The way I wanted to characterize it is if you are down eight, right? If you're down eight with three minutes left on the clock, right? Um, there, you don't know how you need to manage the clock there, which Luke had touched on at the very end of his explanation, right? If you are down nine at, with three minutes left, you know exactly how you need to manage the clock, right? If you're down six, you know exactly how you need to manage the clock. But if you're down eight, you have no idea how you need to manage that. And that's the problem, right? And so it is better to have the information about how you need to manage the clock, whether or not you need another drive, whether or not you need to set up for an onside, or whether or not you can kick like an actual, you know, kickoff and, and save your timeouts for later to, to stop them, which given how the Colts were playing, you would have been able to stop them, right? Like it is really just a question of, do I know how I need to manage the clock if I've got three or four minutes left and I'm, I'm, I'm down one score, right? Or am I, I, I'm down two scores? That's what matters. Yeah, okay. So you, you're both right, and I totally understand the argument, and I knew it going into this situation. And um, I would have been okay with him going forward early. Makes sense. But. Here's my case for not. Here's, here, here's the but. So if you need the extra possession, in most cases, that's unlikely. It's, now, in this game, it would have been. Like, you would have had it. But in most cases, it's unlikely that you're going to get another additional stop in a desperation situation like this and have a chance to score again. Um, what's incumbent upon coming back is getting a stop, um, at least one stop. So if you are down by eight and you are at home, there is such a, and I think it's a, a realistic advantage to having the crowd fully invested in that stop. Um, there's a difference in energy whether you're down by eight or down by nine. Your defense has a difference in energy, whether you're down by eight or down by nine. In fact, some of the defenders may not even realize why the coach did what he did. They might be saying, what, like, this buffoon just went for two and missed. 
what's the point now? Now we need two possessions. Like, I think that matters. And when you're in a home environment and you can get the crowd on your side to get that all-important one stop, I think that that does matter. Now let's look at what the Colts did down or up by eight can, can in I, that can situation. Can I interrupt real quick on this one? They fumbled. What, is it the, the Colts were so demoralized by the fact that the Vikings didn't miss a two-point conversion later that they fumbled? Is that the argument? Because because the That's crowd was the support invested, for my argument. <laughs> I, okay, my so favorite situational arguments are the ones that have, like, you do suboptimal things to lure the other team into doing something stupider. Like, being down <laughs> four is, being, is better than being down three because the other team will play like an idiot. Oh. That or or, really or so that you won't like go for. Th I so, love yeah, that. So you can't. So I'm, I'm, I'm letting you have this. Uh, no, no, I'll no, say this. I'm letting I'll you have this. this. I love I'll it. Say this. Um, I think there is potentially. I don't agree with it, but I think there's potentially merit to that argument in other situations in other games. In this game, buddy, you just scored four touchdowns in like nine minutes. Everyone believes in you now. You don't need this. <laughs> you don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like Patrick Peterson comes out of the locker room saying, yeah, you just need to score five touchdowns, man. No biggie. And everyone's like, yeah, <laughs> he's right. That's like, like one player turns to him and he's like, is that guy joking? But it's Patrick Peterson. No, the F he's not joking. No. Right. <laughs> and so, so no, that's not the scenario, right? You just scored four touchdowns. <laughs> like everyone believes in you. You're fine. <laughs> I, everyone's gonna everyone's gonna buy into this man someone's gonna force a fumble just because they need to that's if we're if we're talking like magic and crowd energy and momentum buddy you're good <laughs> you have the mo you have the possession arrow it, of momentum you're, yeah you're not wrong um isn't this game and this is another another yeah, analytics argument that momentum doesn't exist isn't isn't yeah, this game exist, vibes exist that's the difference yeah yeah Oh, okay. I've always tomato, thought tomato. of momentum as a Moment possession arrow. Most most of the studies, mm -hmm. the like analytical studies on momentum, are looking at things like do more do good plays lead to other good plays, which the answer is like kind of not really. Like each play is kind of its own thing. Um, momentum is a possession arrow, and I think it's really really hard to accurately assess like analytically who has momentum because it's not just who had more like positive EPA second downs. It's it, stuff like that, Jalen Rager punt return being called back can be a huge momentum killer which like doesn't okay, yeah, even show that's... up in the box score so that is going to make it really hard to to measure but like with your eyes and with your like heart you know who has momentum in a given situation nobody's like tracking that though so you don't have data to work with and it makes it really really hard to measure the idea of like momentum as we call it but i with Arif, i like calling it vibes because it's not an inertia yeah. it's like uh like who's feels good right now yeah, and, and, and the biggest yeah. issue with with this is that uh, it is much easier to define after the fact. If the Vikes don't win because yeah. of that second interception, we're just going to say, well, they lost the momentum. But then they didn't, right? Like, so, like, wh what is what is kind of our evaluation of, you know, these calls taking back returns, right? You know, when, when, uh, when, when you don't have the fumble return touchdown part two, Right with Shannon Sullivan when you do, when you have that interception when you've got that punt return taken back right like all of those are momentum killers and they didn't kill momentum so like what's going on here really I think it is just a, a product of team team culture which none of us deny you know exists and has a, a real impact on the game the problem is when we talk about momentum right when, when you've got a bunch of analytics nerds talking about momentum and saying hey you take a look at this play by play. And, uh, and, you know, there, there's no, uh, you know, momentum here. You take a look at, you know, what happens after a big play and it turns out it's a normal play, right? Um, you know, it, your success rate doesn't change or your EPA doesn't change or your yards, whatever, right? Um, the response that you typically get is, hey, you nerds have never played in a competitive environment, which is not true, right? A lot of these guys played football specifically. Like Eric Eager was a tight end, right? For, for Moorhead College, right? Like, yeah, they have. I've been in competitive environments. It's not the same as like the, the physical feedback of football and, and, and basketball, but you know, in debate rounds, there is something very similar to momentum. I know it sounds nerdy as hell, right? But bear with me. Um, there is something about the energy of competition that changes your reaction, right? There is something about the energy of competition that changes how you, I, it is impossible for me to ignore 
the emotional aspect of, of being in a competitive environment. Having a thousand people watch you as you succeed or screw up changes how you feel. The problem is, in football, there are 22 people on the field. And they all have different amounts of emotional intelligence. They all have different environments, which they come from. They all have different emotional reactions to what's happening on the field and in the game, right? So if you have a clutch player, let's say clutchness exists for a second, right? If you have a clutch player that responds, right? By the way, clutchness is the opposite of momentum. So like, which one of these is real, right? But which, uh, if you've got, you know, this guy that's responding to emotional energy and momentum, and the guy next to him, might just be thinking we've got this and might be relaxing, which is not what you want, right? The guy next to that person might be, oh my God, this is a big moment and I'm nervous, right? Which is not what you want. All three of them are responding to the energy of the situation. All three of them are responding mm -hmm. to the fact that we're in the middle of a comeback scenario that we just had three touchdowns on our last three drives or whatever, right? Everybody is responding to the exact same emotional cues, but because there's 22 players on the field, they all respond differently. The defense might have somebody who's clutch, right? Who doesn't believe that this other team, after scoring three touchdowns, is going to be able to do something, right? The offense might have somebody who can't perform in a big moment, right? It is impossible to quantify the emotional states of all 22 of these people. So I'm not denying that there is something very emotional to the way a game state changes, to the way the crowd reacts, to the way all of this is happening, right? I've been booed in front of thousands of people right? In a competitive environment. <laughs> Frankly, He's I think everyone that. should have that experience, right? But uh, like, hey, I won that, by the way. Uh, but uh, how people respond to like those big moments is really important, right? But it's all different for everybody. And that's why momentum doesn't show up on the stat sheet. It's not because people don't, uh, it's not because every player is a, you know, a, a data point, right? Humans are humans, right? That's, that's the stance, I think, of the podcast. Um, but uh, the way that people kind of respond emotionally to individual moments, they're all different, which is why you don't see momentum show up on the play-by-play. -play. I feel like our listeners are, are having a similar experience to, like, finding out about Santa. People are like, wait, momentum doesn't exist? What? <laughs> if, they're, what? If, they're, if they're longtime listeners of, of either me or Luke, I think that the, the, the wool has been pulled back from their eyes long before this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll add one thing to this, and it's that, like, when you hear analytics people either on, like, Twitter or, or like, analysts like Cynthia Freeland or whatever say something doesn't exist, it's probably more accurate to say that they what they mean is more like it can't be, like, measured or used to predict things, so it shouldn't be in our models or whatever, um, and that it's, like, it, it is not a tangible thing that we can pull out and, like, use data to... Like use 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 it to improve our data, and therefore it like should safely be ignored, which is probably true of momentum. Um, and it's the same thing with uh, running backs. Like a shorthand that just pauses the. Yeah, it's like a yeah, marketing. It's, it's issue the same thing. Right. Yeah. It's it's not that running backs don't have an appreciable impact on the game or their own production. It's that to the extent that we have the ability to measure it, it's relatively small, and so there's an outsized importance placed on a running back. Same thing with momentum. It's not that. It is impossible to 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 look at these things and say that there's nothing emotional running through that you know kind of helps determine this right. Like eventually, I think they did find out that the hot hand exists in, in basketball. It's just shot selection crowds it out um, because when you're on fire, you start taking more difficult shots mm -hmm. and it evens it all out, right? That's that's mm -hmm. the the thing, yeah. right? Well, hey. That must mean that the hot hand is less important than all of these other environmental factors. Same thing with momentum. Same thing with running backs. All of these things are more important. Um, running backs, Dalvin Cook, screen pass 64 yards, best play of his career, question mark. Most important play so. of his career. Uh, I'm trying to think yeah, of I have a to more. I'm partial to the 2020 Lambo screen, but that was a good one. <laughs> um. Gosh, there's like a, I'm trying to remember like two years ago, there's like a 40 yard run that like made me lose my mind. Um, I think it, it was, it, I, I wish I could remember the specifics because I remember getting really annoyed that Zimmer was running the ball for like one, two, one, three, like just getting nothing. And Zimmer's argument is always, you got to keep plugging away at it because you never know when you're going to explode. And then it happened. It was like a 45 yard run for a mm -hmm. touchdown to change the game. Like there's a, there's enough in, I think, Dalvin Cook's resume to say that there's probably better 
plays from like a, how impressive Dalvin Cook was, but you know, bigger moments, more memorable. Uh, maybe this one, uh, we're all we're all captured by recency bias here, though. Infuriable, correct. <clears throat> uh, most important, uh, probably has to be the one in the wild card game against the Saints. Yeah, that was like barely over the line. Yeah, that I still am not if sure you... if that was a touchdown. No, it wasn't. But he know, got stonewalled at at the goal line on that one. Um, he scored yeah. twice in that game. Both were important. Um, I guess if you combine importance with impressiveness, I think it's number one. I mean, like the like the Lambo touchdown that you alluded to, Luke, amazing touchdown. Also a one in five football team. Also yeah, not that critical of a this point. Season in the game. Matters. This season yeah. matters. This was yeah, we, enormous. We, we just need and... our beast quake. That's what we need. Then, yeah. Then we never have to argue about this again. <laughs> Dalvin has been on the verge of a couple of those and earlier in his career where I felt like he broke more tackles. Um like mm -hmm. early in the 2017-18 seasons before injuries struck him or in 19 seasons, he was really, really, really good. And then injuries always atrophied you know, him throughout the year and caused him to, to lose that quality. Um, I looked it up. I thought he was going to be faster on that play, honestly. I thought it was going to be like 21 miles an hour. It was only 19.7 only. 19.7. <laughs> I thought it was going to be one of the fastest plays of the week because he really pulled away and then – uh, fighting across the goal line, finishing the play was outstanding. One of the great U.S. Bank Stadium moments, to be honest with you. I mean, there, there's there's Minneapolis Miracle. There's some of the stuff that, uh, you know, against the Broncos during that comeback in 19. This yeah, was obviously points, a little right? beyond, beyond that. It was 20. Was it 23 or was it 20? No, it might have been, it it been 20. At one point, they were down 23, I want to say, but like the... The third to fourth quarter shift, I think, was twenty. I don't know. Remember. It was it was twenty nothing at halftime. Um, tap dance, tap dance. Twenty. It was twenty because the okay. Vikings cut right. it to twenty to seven, and then twenty three to seven after that. So, oh, okay. um, so yeah, there was a reason yeah. twenty three was in my brain though. Got it. Uh, let's conclude, and I know we're at an hour, but this is a big game. Quick nerdy stat of the day pertaining to the comeback, if you have one. As if we haven't been nerdy enough with the two-point conversation and the momentum conversation. Uh, oh, one good stat from the comeback. Analytics fans rejoice. It's time to get educated. Whoa, you're blowing my mind right now. With the nerdy stat of the day. Arif Hassan. Kick us off. <laughs> Um, I think we kind of we uh, blew my analytical load, as it were, <laughs> on uh, <laughs> on uh, on the uh, on the two point discussion. Um, but I'm taking a quick look at this EPA chart, and I'm looking at the biggest ones by EPA. So um, uh, one great thing about RunningBacksDon'tMatter.com or RBSDM.com is that uh, when you take a look at the biggest plays by expected points added, uh, it gives you every play that swung uh, uh, by two and a half points or two and a half expected points, right? And so in this game, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten such plays, which is a lot, right? Ten such plays, and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of them helped the Colts. So 70% of the big plays in this Jesus. game, in this enormous comeback, uh, that were big plays, were Colts plays, right? Things like the Dalvin Cook fumble, things like the Jalen uh, the Kirk Cousins interception, the Jalen Raker interception. Uh, things like the fourth and one, we didn't even talk about this, things like the fourth and one uh, fake punt, right, to, J uh, to Jalen Naylor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, we didn't, mm -hmm. like, that's, uh, those are all, like, all of the big plays that swung uh, in somebody's way, 70% of them were in the Colts' favor. So that's my nerdy side of the day. That's good. It's insane to like, win a game when that happens. Like, when you get the swinging plays, like, that team, crazy. like, always wins. Yeah. Um. We kind of already talked about it, but with uh, field position, there's kind of two ways to put this, and I don't know which, like, they kind of, we need both, but I looked at the starting field position on all of Indianapolis's drives to kind of see, like, where the defense was. So on drives where the Colts scored, um, not counting the punt block and the pick six, because those aren't really drives, the average starting field position on those drives was the Colts' 48-yard line. 
just about midfield. On all other drives, the average starting field position was about the Colts' 25, like a like a touchback. Um, another way to put it is when you started a drive on the Colts' 30 or closer, the Colts scored on five of eight of those possessions. Anything behind the 30, they scored once in the whole game. It was very clear goal, that right? when you... Yeah, one field goal. And they got pretty close. It wasn't like... That wasn't like a 50-yarder. Yeah. Um, and it was uh, in a two-minute drill, too. It was at the end of the half. Whenever you could keep the Colts from... Like, if you didn't give them a short field or just the touchdown entirely, um, they couldn't drive the ball. And that is why this comeback was possible because the Vikings stopped giving them short fields and the defense kept playing such that, you know, they could not string several first downs together and um, get into scoring range. Even when they did string several first round first downs together, it was always in short field situations when it only took two or three first downs to get into scoring range. Yeah. Even, even the Colts first drive, there's like some evidence there that like, they're probably not a good team, right? And this is before the Colts, you know, got like a huge lead. But it was just like Vikings stopped them on first and second down and then and then lost on third down. Teams, the offenses that rely on third down conversions solely in order to advance the ball are not good and are not, there's that word, sustainable. It's it's tough. It's high volatility. Great segue stuff. into my nerdy stat of the day. Thank you, Arif. So you might think, <laughs> Wow, to come back from 33 down, you must have had some pressure-packed plays where you just had to convert. You must have been on a razor's edge converting third and fourth downs. Nope. The Vikings were so efficient on offense after halftime. And I haven't isolated what the yards per play was, but it had to be, like, better than eight. I'm, I'm sure it was. Jeez. Because the Vikings converted zero fourth downs after halftime. And only five third downs. That's because they were so good on first and second down. Um, and I've said that Sam that stat on. Nerd. Like, <laughs> I think that's about where I slot in. Even when Luke yeah. Inman is here, I think Inman. No, yeah, yeah, is, it's, it's a good fourth. ranking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but not to not even have a single fourth down that they converted in that comeback is crazy. Like you'd think that at some point, because you have to go yeah. for it in a lot of cases and the Vikings, uh, they, they failed one time on the cousin sneak, but that, that to me is mind blowing how good they were early in series to, to keep the ball moving. That's my nerdy stat of the day. All right, Luke, um, you've buried me in the gambling contest. I'm toast. We were both oh, well into the negative. You went 2-0, oh, and o, including a max bet. I went 0-2 with double max bets. I am down now like four grand with three weeks to go. So I went 2-0 so not... as well, but it, Luke might still be, at, mm -hmm. might be ahead of me because of that giant bet. I don't I have think to run so. the calculations. I... Okay. okay. I think because you went 2-0, you stayed ahead of me, but I'm close now. It was, yeah. It was dicey that last one, too. Oh my god! Yeah. So I didn't watch that game because I just after the early games on Sunday, I went out and did some Christmas shopping, and I was just looking at. It. So I like looked at my phone and I saw the score was seventeen oh bucks, and I was like, oh no, I'm gonna get even more in the hole. And then I put my phone away for like two hours, and then looked back and it was twenty seven seventeen. I was like, oh okay, what happened? Dude, when 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 the Bengals were up ten, I was like. Oh man, because I like I was tracking because I I want personally Luke to lose, but also for the purposes of the contest, it's better for me if Luke loses. Uh, and, yeah, and I was like, ah, man, you know, all all Tampa Bay has to do is score a touchdown, and then it's three. Luke had it three and a half. Uh, I'll be fine. They've got Tom Brady, who I've been trashing all season, but let's ignore that. <laughs> and and the Bengals, God, the POSs that they are, the Bengals just scored again. Made it impossible. Yep. Losers. 34-23. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so congrats, Luke. Um, I am going to start getting prepared to do my little uh, my little punt, pass, and kick combine thing. And, hey, I'm still going to keep trying. I've still got three weeks. I could go 6-0 and yeah. with yeah. six max bets. I could win this thing handily. 
my plan this hey, week, and this isn't something I've done you just, yet. You just need this to have isn't something six I've done, man. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> Only need six. Just win six bets. I'm going to try something yeah. radical, though. I'm going to research and prepare for the gambling segment. <laughs> That's my new strategy. I've gotten this far uh, without doing any of that. I will continue uh, to stay the course. Good for you. Because our, our overall records are so good. Why would we change? Right. Yeah, exactly. At this point. <laughs> Thursday, we'll be joined by Ron Johnson uh, and hopefully Luke Inman, Arif Hassan, and Luke Braun. Thank you, gentlemen. I'm Sam X from Lockdown Sports Minnesota. Comment on the video below. What was your favorite part of the Vikings comeback? Let us know in the comments section and subscribe to Lockdown Sports Minnesota. Find us on podcasts. We're free and available wherever you like to listen to podcasts. We'll see you on Thursday on the Minnesota Football Party. So long.